Well, good morning. If you have your copy of God's Word, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to begin our Better Together series uh, this morning as we move towards Back to Church Sunday on September the 19th. And so uh, we're really looking forward to our Back to Church Sunday uh, and encouraging people uh, to remember kind of the biblical truth for the family of God that we are better together. Families are better together. And that's what we're going to look at today in verses 1 through 14 of Ephesians chapter 1. My family has kind of always exemplified this, especially during times of difficulty or uh, in times of disaster specifically. You know, hurricane season came early this year, and we had some hurricanes that, or tropical storms at least, that were pretty close to us. They didn't really hit us too hard. We even had some that kind of interrupted Wednesday night services and so it always reminds me when that happens, specifically of what happened during Hurricane Irma just a few years ago, uh, especially for my family, the sleeping arrangements. And when you're uncertain about what's going to happen or, or how the weather is going to affect uh, the, the house or uh, even the things around the house, one of the things you want to do, not be on the second floor, you don't want to be near windows. And so my family kind of all gathered together in the center of the house and uh, it's actually one of the favorite things that, that we do for my kids. They love uh, to, to be able to, to be together, whether it's at Christmas time for a good time and for a celebration, or whether it's uh, in a time of uncertainty, like when a hurricane is blowing through. Um, you, if you're listening to law enforcement or to the media, uh, and they're, they're telling you what you need to do to make all the provisions to stay safe, my family wants to be together. Uh, even after the storm had passed and we were left with power outages for quite some time and we're running off generators and different things of, of that nature, they still wanted to be together. Why? Because as a family, families lean on each other. They depend on each other. They trust each other. A and so they know that their family member, even though sometimes they fight against each other, probably harder than anybody, when the times get tough, they know that's somebody that they can depend on. Even in the good times, we celebrate, we want to celebrate together. And sometimes, unfortunately, the older, especially the kids get, the, the less, hey, I want to be around everybody that we are. But then something tragic strikes or some difficulty or some problem arises. And the first one they come to is, a family member, whether it's a brother or sister or a mom or dad or a grandparent or even an aunt or an uncle, we tend to be galvanized as a family. And one of the things we have to be reminded of is that doesn't just need to be in times of great celebration. It doesn't need to just be in times of great tragedy. It really needs to be a part of our everyday life that we would be drawn together. That's what families ought to do. And by the way, did you know that if you are a child of God, if you are a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're part of his family. And because of that, we need each other. In times of difficulty, we need each other. But really just for everyday life. Let's take it a step further. Not just we need each other, but we ought to want to be together. Not just watching the same sermons. Not just hearing the same messages, not just reading the same passages of Scripture, but doing it together. In good times, in bad times, 
all the time. We ought to have a desire to be with the family of God, to be with our family. And the biblical truth is this. God created us together for him, and he wants us to be together for him. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day, the day of Christ's return, drawing near. We don't know when that's going to be, but until he returns, we ought to want to be together, encouraging one another, holding each other accountable, and also helping each other to go out and be salt and light in this world that God has given to us. Now, there's several reasons for that, but we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, as we kind of delve into at least the initial reasons why the family of God needs to be together. And first of all, and really kind of elementary thinking here, we ought to want to be together because we're part of the same family, and the reason for that is because we have the same father look with me in verses one through six paul an apostle of christ jesus by the will of god to the saints who are in ephesus and are faithful in christ jesus the apostle writing this to the church in ephesus grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. There's several things that, that kind of arise from the fact that God is our father, that we have the same father, but one of those is, is just simply that our Father, our Heavenly Father, blesses us. Now, I don't know what your earthly father was like. I, I know what mine is like. I, I don't have any idea what you went through growing up. And sometimes it kind of makes us sort of either want to draw near to God because we had a good relationship with our earthly father. And sometimes it kind of makes us hesitant because maybe our relationship with our earthly father wasn't as good as it could have been. Can I tell you this? Our Heavenly Father is not like any earthly father. It doesn't matter how good your earthly father was. It doesn't matter how bad your earthly father was. Our heavenly father is perfect. And there is no one on earth that will compare to him, good or bad. He is far greater. And the blessings that he gives to us are far greater than anything any earthly person, period, could ever do. That's why it's important for us to be reminded that the family that we're a part of begins with who our father is. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. But don't miss the first part of verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, we're not going to spend a ton of time on this this morning, but this is an incredible statement here. And, and, and most of the time when we start to talk about that and we start to talk about predestination, and that's what really everybody wants to focus on in verses 1 through 14, and we're not going to spend a lot of time there. We've done that in the past. We'll do that in the future. Today we're sort of focusing on the fact that we're part of the same family. But, but here's what that statement means. Before the world was ever established, God, the creator of all things, knew you and he loved you. There has never been a time in eternity 
in eternity past when God did not know you and love you. For as long as God has been in existence, which is forever, there's never been a time when he was not, as long as he's been in existence, he's known about you. Before you were in existence, he knew everything about you. He knew every good thing you would do. He knew every bad thing you would do. He has known everything always about you. And yet, he still loved you cherished you and he planned to redeem and to save you look even our earthly fathers don't know everything about us as a matter of fact according to paul david other people in scripture we don't even know everything about ourselves but god knows every dirty detail about your life and he still loves you and cherishes you has a plan for you and has redeemed you for his glory our father blesses us in ways that we can't even possibly comprehend. That's why it's so important that we draw near to him and to his family. But not only does he bless us, but our Father calls us. Verses 5 and 6, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has blessed us in the beloved. He has called us to be a part of his family now everybody wants to focus in verse 5 on predestined and that's fine that's a very important thing God chose us before the foundation of the world God has predestined us to be a part of his family our destiny is bound up in him not in us not in the world but in him but really what I want to focus on right here is the word adoption what a beautiful concept adoption means that we were not a part of his family but he made us a part of his family. Now hold on. That's not, that's not all that that means. We were not his mostly good but wayward sons or kids. That's not who we were. We, we weren't just wayward children. We were rebels. We were members of a traitor race. We were complete outcasts and enemies of God. All of these things are statements that the Bible says about us before our redemption and God said I will make you mine no we didn't deserve it we didn't earn it we weren't the pretty kids no he came in and he adopted us as his children even though we didn't deserve it he called us to be a part of his family to be in his beloved author Keith Miller tells the story of a woman who was part of a small group that he led at the church where he was serving and he said, Here are, here's her story in her own words. When I was a tiny little girl, my parents died and I was put in an orphanage. I was not that pretty. No one seemed to want me. But I longed to be adopted and loved by family as far back as I can remember. I thought about it day and night, but everything I did seemed to go wrong. I must have tried too hard to please the people who came to look over me and everything I seemed to do would drive them away. But then one day, the head of the orphanage told me that a family was coming to take me home with them. I was so excited that I jumped up and down, cried like a little baby. The matron reminded me that I was on trial and this might not be a permanent arrangement, but 
I just knew that somehow this one was going to work out. So I went with this family and I started to school. I was the happiest little girl you can imagine. Life began to open up for me just a little bit, things that I'd never thought possible. But then one day, a few months later, I skipped home from school, ran up to the front door of the big house that we lived in, but no one was at home. But in the middle of the front hall was my battered suitcase with my little coat thrown across it. As I stood there, it suddenly dawned on me what that meant. I didn't belong there anymore. Miller said that when that young lady stopped speaking, there was hardly a dry eye in the small group. But she cleared her throat and said, almost matter-of-factly, this happened to me seven times before I was 13 years old. She said, but wait, don't feel too badly for me. Because it was experiences like these that ultimately brought me to God. No earthly father, no earthly mother wanted to adopt me into their family. I didn't meet the standard for which they were looking for. But in God, my heavenly father, I found what I had always longed for, a place a sense of belonging, a forever family. God, in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of our mistakes, in spite of our failures and inadequacies, He blesses us and He calls us to be adopted as His children. And He does so joyfully. The word translated purpose in verse 5 is actually kind intention you could read it like this he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through jesus christ according to the kindness of his intention his will this was his divine purpose for us to be a part of his family not because of us because of his love for us god didn't just plan and execute the process of our salvation he enjoyed the process he desired and longed for us to be a part of his family it cost him everything the blood of his son jesus to accomplish it but he enjoyed every second of redeeming us from a traitor race to a beloved family member we have the same father and it ought to draw us together we ought to want to be in a place where we belong but he gives reference to the fact that it was all possible because of Jesus. And not only do we have the same Father, but we serve the same Savior. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. You, you know, one of the reasons why we belong together is because we have been unified through redemption. We're unified through the redemption that we find in Jesus Christ and him 
alone. Nobody else can say that. We have the same family because the Savior has done what he has done to bring us all together. Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14 says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You, you know what makes us similar? We, we come from a lot of different backgrounds. We have a lot of different likes and dislikes. We, we have different agendas. We have different social statuses. We may speak different languages. We, we certainly don't all look the same. We don't all sound the same. We're not from the same part of the country. Many of us are not from the same part of the world. But you know what unifies us? We've been redeemed to one Father through one Savior, Jesus Christ. And there is nothing in this world that could ever divide us from the fact that that family is not about us, it's about Him, and He brings us together. We are unified through the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ because we're all redeemed the same way. And it ought to inspire us to serve Him and to be together in order to make each other better but we're also unified through the inheritance that we have received verse 11 says in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who are the first to hope in christ might be to the praise of his glory our inheritance is not something we earned just like any inheritance really if you think about it the inheritance is what the parent or whoever the person leaving it to the beneficiary really is. They, they've earned that. That's all on them. But the inheritance is received not because of we've earned it, but because the person who's giving it has appointed for us to have it. And he's done that for all of us. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. Again, everybody wants to focus on predestined, but I just want you to think about what we have that no one else in the world can claim. Now, the world wants you to look like them, but God's desire is that you would look like the Savior who has purchased and obtained that inheritance on your behalf. Joint heirs with Jesus. That, that's who his children really are. You remember the story by Hans Christian Andersen, the ugly duckling. Although hatched in the same nest as the other eggs, this duckling looked different. He was big. He was ugly. He didn't have the soft yellow feathers like the other ducklings. No one could understand what was wrong with this ugly duckling. Not the mother duck, not the rabbit, not the turkey, not even the duck himself. Can you imagine what the ugly duckling might have been thinking about? What's wrong with me? Man, I'm so worthless. I'm such a failure. I don't measure up to all the other ducks. The result of that thinking was ultimately in the book depression, feelings of worthlessness, a sense of failure, always trying to perform like the other ducks, and perhaps even the feelings of rejection. You don't look like us. You don't sound like us. You don't do the things we want you to do. Why are you so different? Why are you so ugly? Well, what was the truth? The truth was, the ugly duckling wasn't a duck at all. The ugly duckling was a swan. 
And over the long winter months, the duckling had changed. It had become what it really had always been, a swan, beautiful and graceful like all other swans. The ugly duckling believed that he was a duck and an ugly duck at that. But just because he thought this was the truth, that didn't make it the truth. That's not what he really was. The ugly duckling believed a lie, and because of what he believed, his behavior was affected. Can, can I tell you, I think too many times our behavior as children of God is affected because we want to be like everyone else. and We want to be independent. We want to be looking out for ourselves. That's what the world tells us we ought to do. You do what's best for you. That's not what God tells us at all. And as a matter of fact, when we get to the end of this, I want to highlight something that's really kind of the point of this whole passage of Scripture that will help you to realize it's really not about you. But even in the midst of thinking, like everybody else, do you not feel out of place? Do you not feel like something is missing? If we believe a lie, we will find ourselves in bondage. But if we believe the truth, God says the truth will set you free and the truth is this we have one father who has blessed us and who has called us to be a part of his family he did that through our one savior that we've been called to serve he gave us the opportunity to be redeemed into the family of god and has given us an inheritance this world cannot understand they will never understand it apart from the grace and love of jesus christ transforming their heart like it has ours as well and all of that is possible. And the life He called you to live is possible because we receive the same Spirit. Verse 13 says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Now, just a couple real quick thoughts about those verses, and then I want to kind of unpack all of it together this morning as we think about the fact that families are better together. We have God's protection. You heard the truth, the gospel of your salvation. You believed in Him, but did you know you were sealed by the Holy Spirit? Protected by the whole... Your salvation didn't begin with you, and it is not held together with you. You are protected by the very Spirit of God. Even when the whole world seems against you, even when everything in the world seems to be falling into chaos, even when your life seems to be falling apart into tragedy, you are protected by the Spirit of God. Does that mean that no problems will ever arise? Certainly not, but it means that your inheritance, which is an eternal inheritance, is never in doubt. You may doubt. Your life may feel like you're struggling constantly, but the power of God in your life and the promise of God for the future are always certain, not because of you, but because of Him. And you, you know one of the reasons why we're better together? Because we need to be reminded of that from time to time. We need to be able to come together, not just hear somebody speaking, we need to come together and be able to actually spend time talking to one another, praying with one another, reading Scripture with one another, crying with one another, laughing with one another. It is how God made us. We're better together. We have God's protection, but He draws us together. And finally, we have God's promise. The promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Now, several things are going on right here. 
And I kind of want to unpack this as a whole, but I do want to spend some time real quick looking at this idea of the guarantee of our salvation. Did you notice in this chapter that the entire Trinity is involved in this whole process? The Father's purposes, the Son redeems, and now we see the Holy Spirit seals and protects. Our salvation is about God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's not about us. He's saving us, but he does all the work. But here, the Holy Spirit, Paul says, is the one who ensures to us that God is going to finish what he started. He who began a good work in us will see it through to completion. But how do we know that? Because the promised Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Until we hold our inheritance in our hand, our eternal inheritance in our hand as joint heirs with Jesus Christ, until that happens, the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. What is a guarantee? Paul says he's the guarantee of our inheritance. What does that mean? What he's referring to here is earnest money. Earnest money is what you actually put down in order to promise that you're going to finish the payment for whatever you're putting that guarantee, that earnest money, that promissory note down for. When you're trying to give someone a promise that you're going to follow through on a deal, you give them enough money that they know you'll never just walk away from it. That's not going to happen. What God has given to us as earnest money, you know what it is? The Holy Spirit has come and lives within us as a guarantee of our inheritance. Here's the thing. If the Spirit of God lives within you as earnest money for the inheritance that you will acquire, what does God stand to lose if he doesn't actually follow through with the promise of our inheritance of eternal life, he stands to lose his spirit, himself. In other words, God's not going to lose himself. There could not be a more sure, earnest money guarantee than the Spirit of God himself. How do we know he's going to complete his work in us and take us to heaven to be with him forever because he's already put the best part of heaven into us and the best part of heaven is himself. I think many times here on earth, the Holy Spirit functions like the moon. Every night, the sun virtually disappears from sight. He doesn't disappear, but he disappears from our sight. But the Holy Spirit's work in our lives ensure us that Jesus is coming back to finish what he started. The moon reminds us the sun is still there. We see the reflection of that sun every night when we look into the sky, and it reminds us that morning is coming the spirit of god reminds us that jesus is coming back but there's one other phrase here i want to make sure that we see before i close this section if you learn this then everything we've talked about will make sense if you don't then, then a lot of this probably will be a struggle for you it's a phrase that is repeated over and over again at the close of each section that we looked at this morning verse 6 verse 12 verse 14 and that phrase is this, to the praise of his glory. Why did God do what he did? Why, why did God call you and adopt you as children? Why did God send Jesus to die to redeem you? Why does he send the Holy Spirit to seal the promise of your inheritance? Why does he do things the way that he does them? Very simple, for the praise of his glory. He saved us the way he saved us, to demonstrate his glory. 
There's a handful of just really quick thoughts I want to throw at you this morning. First of all, if I had to pinpoint the primary corruption sin has had on our lives, on our thinking, on our minds, it has to be this unquestioned idea that we are at the center of the universe. That the whole universe exists for us. That the most important thing is our well-being and our good. Even when we think about God sometimes, we think about how God can complete us, how God can help us, how God can take us to heaven. God, here's what I need for you to do to make my life better. But you're not the center of the universe. Even your salvation was pursued in a way that was really about the glory of God. You exist for Him. He made you for Him. He redeemed you for him he's called you for him he sent you for him what are you doing right now for him or is everything you're doing really about you god i'm not real sure if you can keep me safe i'll take care of that god i'm not real sure if you can provide for my family i'll take care of that god i'm not really sure what the future holds so i'm going to take care of that we're at the center of the universe but that's not true it's all for the praise of his glory. Second, until you understand that, that God's glory is the center of everything, not you, nothing that God does is really going to make any sense to you. Your life really won't make sense, and you'll never find fulfillment until you live for his glory. That's why you were made. God's like the sun in the middle of our solar system. Our world only thrives with the sun at the center. Take the sun out, all the planets just fall away. We're the planets circling him not the other way around our lives only thrive with god at the center and god has determined how that looks when he is at the center third that means that there is a lot more at stake here in your salvation and your life than just you it's not just about you if every decision you make and every sunday morning the decisions that you make are about you then you've missed the whole point of being in the family of God. Because first, it is for the praise of his glory, and then second, to love your neighbor as yourself. Our lives are bound up in the glory of God's name. Our salvation is bound up for the glory of God, and for the benefit of others. And so even when you falter, even when you make mistakes, he is going to pursue you and to pursue his work in you for the sake of his name and for the sake of his mission. What is his mission? To redeem others the same way he has redeemed you. God is on a mission to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth, to hold up the name of Jesus so that others might be saved, so that he can adopt more children. So believer, here's what Paul wants to thunder in your ears as you read this first chapter. You are chosen according to the purpose of God, by the power of God, for the glory of God. And that is the greatest, most empowering, most life-giving truth in the universe. But he also wants to remind you that as you draw near to him, you will also draw near to his children. We are better together. Imagine a scene that took place in Asia not terribly long ago this scene was recounted by david platt in his book 
the radical question. He says, a room in an ordinary house, dimly lit, all the blinds on the windows closed. Twenty leaders from churches in the region sit quietly in a circle on the floor, their Bibles open. They speak in hushed tones, or not at all. Some still glisten with sweat. Others' clothes and shoes are noticeably dusty. They have been walking or riding bicycles early in the morning when they left distant villages to get here. Whenever a knock is heard or a suspicious sound drifts in, everyone freezes, and a burly, tough-looking man gets up to go check things out. These men and women have gathered in secret, arriving intentionally at different times throughout the day so as to not draw attention. In this country, it is illegal for Christians to come together like this. If caught, the people here could lose their land, their jobs, their families, and even their lives. I was in that dimly lit room that day, a visitor from America. I huddled next to an interpreter who helped me understand their stories as they began to share. David Platt says, The tough-looking man, our head of security, was the first to speak up, but as he spoke, his intimidating appearance quickly gave way to reveal a tender heart. Some of the people in my church have been pulled away by a cult. He said this with tears welling up in his eyes. We're hurting. I need God's grace to lead my church through these attacks. That cult he referred to had been preying on his church were known for kidnapping Christians, taking them to isolated locations, torturing them. Platt's interpreter explained all of this to him. He said many brothers and sisters in the area would never tell the good news again, at least not with their mouths, because many of their tongues had been cut out. A woman on the other side of the room spoke next. Some of the members in my church were recently confronted by government officials. They threatened their families, saying that if they did not stop gathering to study the Bible, they were going to lose everything they had. She asked for prayer, and then she said, I, I just need to know how to lead my church to follow Christ, even if it costs them everything. I looked around the room, and everyone was in tears. They looked at one another, and then several said at once, we need to pray. Matter of fact, by the way, this is what they did in the Bible. Peter, James, John, the apostles, when they were threatened, when hardship came, you know what they did? They gathered together and they prayed. They read the Bible, they talked, they cried together, they laughed together, and they prayed. Immediately they went to their knees, Platt says, and with their faces on the floor they began to cry out with muted intensity to God. Their praying was not marked by lofty language but by heartfelt praise and pleading. Here's what they said. Oh, God, thank you for loving us. You know, it only takes a small tragedy for us to buy into the lie that God doesn't care. We've experienced nothing like what these people go through every day. Oh, God, thank you for loving us. Oh, God, we need you. Jesus, we trust in you. Jesus, you alone are worthy one after another they prayed while others just wept after about an hour the room grew silent the men and women rose from the floor all around the room on the floor where each had prayed puddles of tears 
and then they left and went back to their prospective places of ministry, knowing they might never see each other again. Yet they couldn't help but continue to gather together because here's the reality. As the family of God, as the children of God, as the servants of God, we are better together. We're going to be talking about this week after week, being reminded in this first part of Ephesians of how our Father has set us apart as His called, as His beloved, as His children for the praise of His glory and so that the lost souls of our neighbors and family members and friends and co-workers might hear the name of Jesus and believe. It depends upon us being messengers and ambassadors for Christ. We're better together. This morning, we need to be reminded that we need each other. But even more than that, we ought to want to be with the family of God. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Maybe you're here today and you're not a part of the family of God. And for the very first time in your life, you are struck with that knowledge that God loved you before the foundation of the world. Before he spoke the world into existence, he knew you would exist, and he loved you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. And maybe today is a day of salvation for you, and you want to cry out, I'm ready to follow Jesus. We'd love to walk with you through that journey. If you take just a moment to take that, that decision card, whether you click on it there under your screen, on our website, on the Sunday tab and say, I want to follow Jesus. Let us come alongside you, walk with you through this journey. Maybe today you need to be recommitted to the cause of Christ, to the family of God. Maybe today God's leading you in fellowship with College Road. I don't have a church family to be better together with. Well, we'd invite you to come and be a part of us. At least get to know us. Give us a chance to tell you what's going on here. Whatever the Spirit of God that is that is the gift and the guarantee of your salvation in your life and your inheritance forever and eternity, whatever the Spirit is leading you to do, please do it today. I implore you, I beg you, on behalf of the glory of God, run to Him. What He has begun in you, He will complete. Father, thank You for each person that's watching this today. Thank You for the opportunity to be able to just share hope. Not hope in the world, hope in you. As the day of Christ's return approaches, and we don't know when it'll be, may we be found faithful. Faithful to you, faithful to your church, and faithful to your calling and your mission to redeem the world. God, draw us to you. Do a great work in us. And use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.